Breaking news. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. There is breaking news out of the Federal Reserve, uh, 75 basis points. That is a three-quarter of a percent hike in interest rates by the Federal Reserve. This is from CNBC. Um, The Federal Reserve on Wednesday launched its biggest broadside yet against inflation, raising benchmark interest rates three-quarters of a percentage point. The Federal Reserve, by going up uh, three-quarters of a percentage point, 75 basis points, is the most aggressive hike in interest rates since 1994. Uh, that took the open market committee um, level of its benchmark fund rate to a range of 1.5% to 1.75%, the highest since just before the COVID pandemic began in March of 2020. Uh, members of the open market committee indicated a much stronger path of rate increases ahead to arrest inflation moving at its fastest pace going back to December of 1981. According to the dot plot of individual members' expectations, the Fed's benchmark rate will end the year at 3.4%, an increase of 1.5 percentage points from where they estimated in March. They expect to be at 3.8% in 2023. Also, uh, they have cut their outlook for 2022 economic growth. They now anticipate uh, GDP will gain 1.7%, down from 2.8% in March. The inflation projection as gauged by personal consumption expenditures rose to 5.2% from 4.3%, though core inflation, which excludes food and energy, is indicated at 4.3% up just two-tenths of a percentage point. Now, uh, what does all of this mean? It it gobbledygook to a lot of people. Essentially, the Federal Reserve is raising the amount of interest banks must pay to the government to get money from the government in loans. So uh, banks will then increase what they give you as a mortgage rate or another loan rate, and that's how they make their profit, the difference between the two. Uh, So as the Federal Reserve interest rate goes up, mortgage rates, car loan rates, all these other rates, they go up as well correspondingly. It is now more expensive to take out a mortgage for a house than it was just a few months ago. Originally, the Federal Reserve had said it might raise uh, 50 basis points or half a percent from the last time it increased interest rates. Uh, And now they're saying that they're going to go up uh, the most aggressive since 1994 with a three quarters of a percentage point increase. The reason is because the more rapidly they raise interest rates, the uh, more rapidly it means companies respond by not taking out loans, but instead using their available cash on hand. That constrains the amount of money that's put into the economy, the amount of new money put into the economy, and that is supposed to slow down inflation. What the rest of the message from the Federal Reserve suggests is that this is going to cause an economic slowdown. They do not believe it's going to cause a recession. They still believe we will have economic growth, not an economic contraction. They just believe the economy will not grow by as much as they had originally thought because of the increase in interest rates beyond what they had originally planned. Now, CNBC has produced a comparison 
between uh, the statement now and the statement that they produced in May. Uh, and uh, the relative details of this uh, note that there was only one member of the Federal Reserve who did not want to be as aggressive with interest rates. The the member from Kansas, her name is Esther George. Uh, she's been on the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City since 1982 in various positions. She was appointed the Fed president there by Barack Obama in 2011. She did not want to be as aggressive. Everybody else at the Federal Reserve wants to be aggressive. Some wanted them to be even more aggressive. Um, now, the Dow has now slipped by seven points. It had shot up uh, because of what was happening. Up, and it's back now into positive territory, up 48 points as I look. The S&P 500 up 17, NASDAQ up 114. Uh, the Russell 2000 up 20. Uh, the markets are responding somewhat favorably to this because it shows that the Federal Reserve is being very aggressive in trying to shut down inflation. The markets are encouraged by this. We should all be encouraged that the Fed has a handle on this. If you go back to the 1970s, one of the problems in the late 60s and the 70s with inflation is that uh, we still did not quite understand in the 1970s, believe it or not, we didn't quite understand how federal monetary policy impacts inflation. We knew that there were supply side issues. We knew that, for example, in the 1970s, unions and corporations and their dealings and negotiations could cause increases. Uh, we didn't quite have a firm grasp after World War II and how the government dumping money into the economy also can can really impact it. We kind of knew, but we forgot. If you go back to World War II during the Depression, there were some videos produced by the Roosevelt administration that we needed to dump a bunch of money into the economy. Uh, and in doing so, we would cause the economy to heat up. And in causing the economy to heat up, we would cause prices to go up, and that's what we needed. Uh, but by the 1970s, there just wasn't a political will and there was some still belief that it was the private sector economy that had more to do with inflation than what the public did. And there was no will to experiment and engage in those who said, no, no, the government has a big role here. No one in government, Democrat or Republican, wanted the Federal Reserve in the 1970s to start raising interest rates. It was Ronald Reagan who came in in 1981 and basically said, look, we've got to get out of stagflation. And we got to do it before my reelection. So let's just jack up interest rates as high as we possibly can right now. And they skyrocketed up to, to somewhere around 10%. It's a massive, massive uh, shoot up. And you know what? It fixed the economy. It was painful. It caused a very, very deep recession. Uh, the Republicans got wiped out in Congress in 1982 and around the country. But by 1984, the economy was going gangbusters with 3 4 5% economic growth because Reagan and Paul Volcker, the head of the Federal Reserve, were able to get a handle on inflation. It looks like Jerome Powell at this point recognizes that we've got to get a handle on inflation. Uh, if we're very honest, one of the things that uh, a lot of people don't want to talk about and don't want to say is that uh, the Federal Reserve and this White House – both underestimated the amount of inflation we were going to get. Now the Federal Reserve recognizes the significance of the inflation and as a result is raising the interest rates 
and in raising the interest rates, it's going to have a cascading effect in the economy. One of those is with housing. According to the Wall Street Journal today, U.S. home equity hits the highest level on record, $27.8 trillion. Soaring home prices, say the subtitle, have driven up home equity, but rising interest rates are making it more expensive to use that home equity. Americans have more home equity than ever before. The increase is another consequence of a red-hot housing market. Double-digit price gains have driven some would-be homeowners out of the market. At the same time, rising home values are boosting the finances of the Americans who already own them. Still, rising interest rates have made it more expensive for homeowners to use that equity. The difference between the market value of a property and the mortgage balance. About 60% of equity was withdrawn via cash-out refinances in 2021, according to mortgage data firm Black Knight. Homeowners are likely to turn to home equity lines of credit. Borrowing costs on such products are more closely tied to the Federal Reserve's benchmark rate, which has moved less than mortgage rates this year. And the Fed just raised those rates now, so home equity line uh, interest rates are going to go up. The problem here, though, is that uh, there is starting to, we're starting to see, and I've seen this myself in following the markets, more and more houses that are not rapidly being snapped up. Just five months ago, you put a house on the market, it'd be gone in a day or two. Now houses are lingering for weeks. The problem is that because mortgage rates are going up and home values are going up so much, an American income is not going up commiserately. Uh, the average home price now exceeds what the average American can pay for that home price. So we've hit a point where housing prices can't keep going up if they want people to buy them. Not only that, because it's now more expensive to get a loan as of 15 minutes ago when the Fed raised the the core rate, it's going to be even harder for people to get mortgages and to qualify for mortgages. And that's going to cause home values to start crumbling. A lot of people had equity in their homes. They cashed out, they refinanced, they got money out, and they're about to start seeing probably their home values begin to decline. But it's not just that. You know, a lot of people, I've got a lot of friends, young, and they're all young men in their 20s and 30s, put a lot of money into cryptocurrency and thought that was the next big thing, and they're losing their shirts. Crypto markets are collapsing. Uh, One of the justifications for crypto for a while was that it was a hedge against inflation. Uh, A buddy of mine put up a meme yesterday on Instagram, said uh, crypto is a hedge against having money. Bitcoin prices have fallen toward $20,000 as the cryptocurrency route deepens. The retreat has wiped out roughly a year and a half of gains for Bitcoin. Uh, there's just been a significant collapse from the high of over $47,500. Since late last year, the air has been leaking out. Two high-profile incidents in recent weeks have accelerated the fall. In May, the collapse of stablecoin TerraUSD and its sister token Luna prompted a sell-off across cryptocurrency. On Sunday, Celsius Networks, one of the largest crypto lenders, said it was pausing all withdrawals, swaps, and transfers, and that sparked a panic. The pain in cryptocurrency markets has been broad. The price of Ether, the in-house currency of the Ethereum network, fell as low as $1,013 on Wednesday. More recently was $1,080, down 9% from its 5 p.m. Eastern time high Tuesday. Cardano's ADA token and even joke cryptocurrency Dogecoin slid. Of the 30 tracked by Coindesk, 29 were in the red. 
The latest sign of stress and confusion came from a vague tweet from the co-founder of Three Arrows Capital, a hedge fund that invests in cryptocurrency. Quote, we are in the process of communicating with relevant parties and fully committed to working this out, the tweet said. No further details were provided. And Three Arrows didn't immediately respond to comment. It might have been meant for DM. I don't know. But the stock indices have entered a bear market. And the cryptocurrencies are pretty much in a terror market. They're just in a free fall. And a lot of young men in particular who decided they were going to put their money in crypto because it was outside of uh, the Federal Reserve and it was outside of the control of governments and it was more private and the like, they're losing their shirts. We're headed towards economic problems. What's going to matter? I actually want to spend a little bit of time on this with what's actually going to matter when we come back because there are some things that do matter and you need to know what those things are to prepare yourself for the coming economic turmoil. There are ways out of this for all of us if you understand what you're dealing with. Let's talk about those. There are a lot of options out there. If you're a self-starter and you want to invest on your own, it can be really confusing. And I'm delighted to tell you about SoFi because that's who I use. And now I've got them as an advertiser. If you're a SoFi user, uh, my gosh, you get all sorts of options, great research. You get the ability to invest in stocks, EFTs, crypto, plan out your retirement. Uh, more importantly, you got people you can call on. I mean, for example, um, I can use SoFi to buy stocks and EFTs and do the deep dive research if I need to and get complimentary financial planners ready to help answer questions. Uh, you can too, whether you're stuck on where to start or need help deciding what to do next. You could even save for retirement with traditional Roth and SEP IRAs. They have so many options. If you're into crypto, you can also explore crypto. They've got 30 available coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, Solana, Dogecoin, and so much more. But more importantly, they've got the number one ranked automated investment tool, their robo-advisor. It takes the stress out of building and managing a diversified portfolio without having to pay a bunch of experts to do it. I really like SoFi. Y'all, I've tried, you name it, and I probably tried it, and I settled on SoFi and think you will like it as well. Cut through the jargon, make investing easier with SoFi. Visit SoFi.com slash Eric to learn how you can win up to $1,000 in stock when you open an account. That's SOFI.com slash Eric. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC. Member Fin Recipic. Hi there, it's Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425 to the phones. Yes, we're going to talk solutions. We are, but I want to take Lewis's phone call first. Welcome to the program. How are you? Doing good. How you doing? Good. What's going on? Yesterday, you had mentioned biofuel. I'm a truck driver. I've been out here for about 30-something years, and uh, we had to use this... Uh, biofuel, which is basically nothing but your French fry oil that they turn into a diesel byproduct. But it really it really hurts us badly because we gotta change our fuel filters three more times than when we're using petroleum. And you can get petroleum but your big truck stop chains like um, I know if you ever travel you'll see maybe a TA or a Petro or a Flying J or a Loves. They are big sellers of this biofuel. And uh, with that alcohol uh, subsidy that they, they generate, uh, raffinate and ethanol, 
these these gas stations get a big kickback from the government for using this stuff. And all it does is just ruins the motors. And you don't get near the horsepower you do out of regular petroleum fuel. And uh, you can get you, you get straight diesel fuel if you want. You just have to find it from the independents that sell it. Is you just got to find it now. Good grief! Oh, so what does that stuff do to the engines? Well, it it, it still runs like a regular motor. You, you don't get nearly the horsepower you would. Well, it's like you know you you say you grew up in the in the oil industry with your dad. Yep. All diesel fuel is just uh, runoff of that crude oil. Mm-hmm. And you can run any diesel motor off of that, and it's just pure. It's a pure byproduct. With the biofuel, it has to have so many additives added to it to make it diesel fuel to run it, and it just it kills the life of the motor. Good grief! These people, I, it, it almost seems malicious. Um, it, it's it's so frustrating and drives the cost. You know, a buddy of mine sent me a picture the other day of his sister. Well, I guess she's in. She's a farmer out in Northern California, and the diesel fuel prices for her are about eight dollars a gallon now. It's just absolutely crazy to me. Um, and Charlie tells me that biodiesel is dirty, dirty fuel too. Biodiesel is. Um, it, it just seems malicious to me. Uh, <laughs> is it really? the same thing they use in the impossible burgers <laughs> you know this reminds me i saw that uh delta I, I mentioned this the other day delta's gonna start selling burgers on their planes to first class or giving burgers on the cheeseburgers but it's gonna be the impossible burger y'all listen i yes i tried it uh it, the reason i tried it was because i was at a i was at a conference it was a workshop for a couple of days, and one of the guys, his wife, is one of the inventors. Uh, they live out in, in California, a conservative couple, uh, and she was one of the people who came up with the process for the synthetic hemoglobin and the like. And so I'm like, all right, I'll give it a try. It's, it's not the same, and they want you to believe it's the same. You can tell the difference between the Impossible and the Beyond Burger and a regular burger. Uh, now, here's the thing. It's not it's not terrible. It's not terrible. But it's not beef. And for years, they've told us that you need to eat as little processed food as possible. The less processed food you eat, the better it is for you. And now to save the planet, they're telling you to eat the most chemically processed food on planet Earth. That's what these synthetic meats are. Uh, And so it's bad for you and good for the environment. This is the perversion of environmentalists that uh, the world will be fine if we just all eat terrible stuff and die. The amount of environmentalists out there who don't want to have kids now because they're afraid of destroying the planet. This all plays into what I want to talk about when we come back. Uh, The solutions with this economic downturn that's coming, there actually are some solutions out there. I want to talk about those, give you a little bit of hope, peace of mind, at least get you planning and thinking about what's going on here because uh, one of the things that's more likely than not coming is an age of doom, gloom, and despair in the media as they cover the stuff. And that's going to send a lot of people into a depressed and frustrated state. There are a lot of people at past or on the verge of retirement 
who are going to be stressed out and panicked about what's going on. We got to start having some meaningful grown-up conversations on this. I want to begin those with you when we come back, offering you some ideas, some things to think about. You can take it or leave it. You can chime in as well, 877-973-7425. We'll be back in just a minute. What do we do in these times of economic calamity? Well, this just happened. Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida was asked what he thought about uh, Elon Musk supposedly uh, supporting him in 2024. Well, where'd the sound go? In any event, uh, he said that (laughs) he's focused on 2022, but he always appreciates the support of (laughs) African-Americans. Well played. Well played, Ron DeSantis. My goodness. Okay. Um, I want to actually talk seriously to you guys for uh, a moment about the economy. We are more likely than not now headed towards some not good uh, economic situations in this country. I've got friends of mine who are panicked, who are furious, who are angry, who feel like Biden has screwed this up. And so have the Democrats and they can't accept responsibility. The Federal Reserve has acted too late um, or uh, imprudish. Im- imprudishly they they haven't done what they needed to do when they needed to do it they're doing things wrong now there's a lot of fury a lot of worry and i understand that the stock market has been on a roll for a decade now or more we've had some down times and and what goes down typically does go up in the stock market sometimes not as quickly as people want But there have been a number of reports that often get looked bypassed by the media. And I want to go off on a tangent here for a moment. And this gets back to oil and a point I made earlier about oil. You know, the the prevailing cultural elite who are in charge of the news networks and, and opinion out there, they do have biases. And oftentimes those biases are in things not said as opposed to things that are said, the stories you don't hear about from the press. So there are a lot of good Americans who are generally informed. They try to keep up with the news and they just don't know about all of the things behind the scenes the Biden administration has done to stop the production of oil in this country because the media doesn't cover it because the media is in large part uh, biased in favor of the climate change narrative and against oil companies. So they just don't cover the stuff. In the same way, largely because of the cult of environmentalism, there are stories out there about family and economy that the media doesn't cover because the media really is not down with big families. They tend to Uh, look skeptically at people with large families. And a lot of American culture does as well. I've got friends with five or more kids. I've got one friend who's got about a dozen kids. And the looks that these families get from people are very telling. So there come out stories on how you can deal with economic downturns and depression, despair and the like. And the media doesn't want to cover these because they 
tend to come from pro-family groups and others, but it doesn't mean the data is not real or the data is not good. Here is what I know to be true from a number of studies. And to the extent that you're not applying them in your life, you may need to start. Number one, the people who perform better in economic downturns are the people who have families, not kids at home per se, but families. They have kids. They have grown kids because those families can, if they live near each other, pool resources. And in pooling resources, they help one another. And those who do not have families, those who are involved in close-knit communities, church groups, and the like, can pool resources with people in their church groups. People who have strong friendships do better in economic downturns. And people who have families do as well. Why? Because you have a family that you are born with and you have a family that you create and they are not necessarily the same thing. I have two older sisters and I have parents. My sisters live closer to my parents, but all at a distance. The sister who lives closest to my parents is two hours away and then my other sister is about eight hours away. I'm about 10 to 11 hours away. My parents live in rural Louisiana. I'm going to see them this weekend for Father's Day. But around them, they have a church community. As my parents have gotten older and their kids are not around, they have someone from the church who comes by and will cut the grass. They get asked to come over and eat at different people's houses and the like. They have a a community of people in the area. My family here, we're two hours from my wife's family. But we also have a group of friends here who we check on them and they check on us. Uh, Philip, who works for me, is also a very good friend. And if we're out of town, he'll come over and check on the house. If they're out of town, I'll go check on their house. Although I haven't checked on their house the last time they went out of town because I was really tempted to just put a for sale sign with his cell phone number in the yard just as a a prank and also put a rainbow flag out. I was really tempted to do that, and I didn't. He should thank me that I didn't do that. But I was really tempted to do it, but I didn't want to make his wife mad. Nonetheless, we have friends, believe it or not. <laughs> and and people who check on us, and we check on them and take care of each other. The single greatest thing you can do in an economic downturn is to have a network of friends and family. And I need to say something that's off-putting to some of you, and I don't mean it to be off-putting. I really, really don't. But it's that if you don't have friends and family around you, what can you do to establish a network of people to care about you and you to care about them? And is there something in your personality keeping that from happening? It is very tempting to be a loner. In my family in particular, we're a bunch of hermits. Uh, My kids rarely have kids come over to play at the house. We enjoy each other's company a lot. Uh, My kids text with their friends. Uh, My son gets on his Xbox and talks to his friends who are not around, but they still have friends in some way they interact. Now, that's no substitute for human personal interaction. It's one reason I'm so committed to Sunday nights on my front porch with friends to have that level of human interaction in a career that is increasingly isolating from people. But I've got to tell you that when an economic downturn comes, 
having your friends who you can rely on, vent to, frustrate with, uh, and, and express your concerns who can also do the same to you is one of the things that sociological and psychological research over the years has said matters. It keeps people from going into despair. It keeps people from committing suicide. It keeps people from thinking the worst is upon them. It keeps your outlook in life up. And that's the other thing here is when the economy turns against you, when you are in despair about your 401k, when you are worried about how ends meet, your faith matters greatly and your world outlook matters greatly. And the people who tend to have the best outlook in life are the people who are adherents to a world religion, in particular Christianity. This isn't me beating my drum or trying to, to proselytize to you. It's just what the data shows. The data from objective researchers at Harvard University who are not Christians show that people who regularly attend a Christian community church tend to actually have a better outlook in life than others. They tend to last, live longer, last longer, keep in better health, and when their health turns down, rebound better. Why is that? Some people will say it's faith. What I actually think you can say it is, is it's the community aspect of it. And so for those of you who aren't in a church and you're not a believer, find a group of people, preferably not politics, because for those of you who are Democrats in particular, the politics is about to go against you badly, and you're all going to be in despair. Find somewhere to meaningfully make a contribution. Where when the time comes, those people will contribute to your well-being. But there's something else as well, generosity. About a month ago on this program, over a 24-hour period, we raised $200,000 for the Salvation Army to be able to give gas and grocery gift cards to people in need. If you need part of that, reach out to the Salvation Army and ask them for help. They do rental assistance. They do uh, assistance for food. They do assistance for groceries. And right now, if you are in a position to be generous, be as generous as you possibly can. Food banks in America and community kitchens are under a greater strain than they have been in the last decade. Since the economic downturn of 2008 in particular, uh, food banks in this country and uh, homeless shelters and community soup kitchens and, and community um, pantry programs are under the most economic strain they have seen since 2008, 2009 in that economic downturn. There was a story yesterday, I didn't get a chance to play the audio for you, of a food bank in Pennsylvania saying they're almost out of food. They have never seen the amount of people relying on it. I played you the audio of a woman on CNN who has retired in Washington, D.C. For the first time in her life, she's been retired for 15 years, and she's having to rely on a food bank to supplement the food in her house. If you can be generous and donate to food banks right now, now is the time to do it. While you have the money and can be generous, be generous to other people. And whether you believe in karma or God or grace or what have you, hopefully it will come back to you. But also... It may be there at a food bank or a soup kitchen where you may need it later. These are the things you got to think about right now. They're the things Americans typically have not had to think about in the past. They're the things we haven't had to talk about uh, meaningfully as a community. But there is a lot of research out there, and it's research you need to know about. It, it, it's things you need to know. As the hard times come, one of the biggest things that you have to contend with is your mental well-being, your mental health, because people will be prone to slip into despair as they see their hard-fought gains and their retirement plan and their 401k slip 
slip away from them. They got to have a good outlook in life. And the best way to have a good outlook in life is to be surrounded by family and friends and in a community of fellow believers. It's what the data says. That's not what I'm saying. It's what the data says. The mental health aspect of this is big. I saw somebody a little while ago that they put up a tweet uh, on on just how bad the economy is. It says, the economy is so bad, I received a pre-declined credit card in the mail. CEOs are now playing miniature golf. ExxonMobil laid off 25 congressmen. Angelina Jolie adopted a kid from the United States. Motel 6 won't leave the light on anymore. A picture is now only worth 200 words. They renamed Wall Street, Walmart Street, and finally I called the suicide hotline. I got a call center in Pakistan. When I told them I was suicidal, they got excited and asked if I could drive a truck and knew who Allah was. (laughs) You got to be able to laugh, folks. You got to be able to laugh. Laugh at all the stuff that's out there. I'm telling you, family and friends are going to matter in an economic downturn more than people realize. And your church group will matter greatly. Believe it or not, it matters. Uh, And you know what? Your relationship you have with other people, even if it's just some random dude on the radio that you listen to every day, that stuff matters too. Uh, Your mental well-being in an economic downturn really separates people. Um, you, You think about it all in financial terms, and we all do. I'm guilty of this as well. Uh, I am really guilty of looking at things in dollars and cents. And all of the data actually says what matters more than dollars and cents when the economy goes upside down is your mental attitude towards dealing with the stresses of it. And so put yourself in a position, if you can, where you're surrounded by people who can take care of you and who provide you a need to take care of other people. And that gets you through the upside down world that we may be headed to in Joe Biden's economy. Now, before I get to anything else, I want to take one more phone call out there. Gail has been waiting patiently. Gail, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. I just wanted to make a comment that um, some uh, truck drivers were calling in, and this has to do with just one of the things that transportation industry is up against because of the environmental program. I don't know who started it or why, but all of a sudden you couldn't roll coal anymore, as the kids would say. So they had to get rid of the black smoke that came out of a diesel motor, and and the powers that be came up with a corrosive product called DEF, diesel exhaust fluid. It's not that expensive for a trucker to buy. It is not convenient for a trucker to buy. Um, It is so corrosive that it can only be housed in plastic, so you have to, in addition, on your diesel vehicle, you have a separate tank for this um, corrosive material to be housed. Um, and what it does is it eats up the carbon that builds up in the exhaust system before it is released into the air so that um, it's not, you know, black soot coming out of the exhaust. Well, two things. One, there's plastic involved again. There has to, there's a factory somewhere that's making this corrosive material, and I cannot believe that it doesn't have uh, pollution uh, released into the air. And people just don't realize all of these entities that are chipping away at the dollar 
and it is not sustainable. It is not sustainable in any form anywhere in this world because there's only a hundred cents in every dollar. And when that's true, uh, just like the the um, healthcare industry, it, it takes thirteen cents of a dollar. That doesn't leave very much, and. I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, Look, the, Gail, uh, I appreciate it. Um, it. It is. It's. 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 They, they keep adding these costs. Uh, the EPA, in particular, exactly. keeps adding all these costs to you guys. And you know what? Uh, you guys have to pass those costs on to me and everybody else, and it drives up all of our costs. It's deeply, deeply frustrating. Now, look, with all of this, you need to know the markets are actually responding very positively to what the Federal Reserve has done. The Dow's now up almost 400 points, NASDAQ up 300 points. But earlier today, there was a big crash in the markets as there was the other day. And with all this economic stability, it may be time for you to consider talking to my friends at GoldCo, particularly if you got $50,000 or more in your IRA, your 401k, your other retirement savings. Given the ups and downs in the market, you might want to pad some stability. GoldCo may be able to help you. Uh, with physical gold and silver. Call them at 855-904-5933. They'll send you a free wealth protection kit to learn how to use gold and silver to protect and grow your money. Now, thousands of retirees are protecting their retirement savings. Many are getting $10,000 or more in free silver for doing it. So call my friends at Gold Co. Find out how you qualify for their offer. At least call them and get the free wealth protection kit to learn how to use gold and silver. See if they're a good fit for you. See if you can partner with them. If you text my name, Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777, I will text you back Gold Coast phone number. Text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. Call Gold Co. Tell them I sent you. See if you can partner with them. See if they're a good fit for you. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you'd like to be on the program, except it's too late. We only have about a minute left and I have to discuss monkeypox with you. Uh, Y'all, the World Health Organization has decided that, uh, call it in monkeypox, is too uh, stigmatizing and potentially racist. How is it racist to call monkeypox racist? How How is that racist? I don't know, but they apparently believe that it is. And so they want to spend a lot of money to rebrand it. Maybe, maybe instead of doing that, maybe they need to tell people to stop getting it. And there are ways they can do that, except they can't because... They're afraid of also stigmatizing gay men who are the chief culprits right now because of some events that happened in Europe and the Canary Islands related to Pride Month. And uh, there were some people there apparently from Africa who were infected that uh, other people engaged in, in sexual relations with, and they began spreading it through Europe and North America and also Australia. Um, uh, maybe actually focus on the behaviors that are causing people to spread it as opposed to spending all the time worrying about people being stigmatized by having something called monkeypox. Maybe naming it that way might be a good way to get people to stop trying to get it.